Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's Meet the Artist interview presented by the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. Uh, I'd also like to welcome our online listeners who are accessing this program through our website, sfballet.org. Today is Sunday, April 13th, 2014, and we are in the War Memorial Opera House before a matinee performance of Program 5 of San Francisco Ballet's 2014 repertory season, Alexei Ratmansky's Shostakovich Trilogy. My name is Jennifer Kavakovich. I'm interviewing for San Francisco Ballet, and our guest today is soloist James Safranco. Hi. James dances one of the principal roles in the first ballet this evening, Symphony No. 9. Uh, he joined San Francisco Ballet in 2000 and was promoted to soloist in 2007. And when I was reviewing his bio to share with you some highlights of his roles over the years, I just couldn't pick. There were so many. Uh, you've just danced with such incredible choreographers, so many works. Can you share with us some of the highlights of your career here? Oh, gosh, that's a hard question. Is um, we just do so much here at San Francisco Ballet, um, which is one of the reasons why it's so great for us as dancers and hopefully for you as the audience too. Um, there's just a lot. Um, uh, just to pick a couple, I guess, um, working with uh, any Jerome Robbins choreography is always great. Um, we did the concert a couple years ago, which was so much fun. Um, it's always fun when I I get to play a character and especially kind of be funny, too. Uh, I was the husband in that and uh, chasing after my wife with a knife and then hiding it. And it's, it's like madcap comedy a little bit. Um, but also Fancy Free by Jerome Robbins is another fun one, The Three Sailors on Leave. Um, just I iconic ballet, first ballet he ever choreographed on, on ABT. I saw ABT do it when I was in school in New York, so that was kind of a... A moment for me, like wow, I'm actually on stage doing this ballet now that I watched from the audience as a student and just like admired it from afar. Now I'm like in it, <laughs> so that was that was amazing. But also working with um, choreographers like Wayne McGregor, who's really at the forefront of what um, choreographers are doing today. Um, he's uh, his ballets here have been very, very modern and contemporary and different from anything else I've ever done. Um, also, Paul Taylor, whenever we do a Paul Taylor work, I really enjoy his work a lot. I studied Paul Taylor um, style and technique while I was a student at Juilliard, too, so I got to use that modern training and infuse it together with my ballet technique, so um, things like that. <laughs> Now, you've also worked with Alexei Ratmansky before, uh, in 2003, when he came to do Carnival of the Animals. Now, when you danced, when you worked with him then, did you have any idea of his trajectory as a choreographer? No, I, I didn't know of him at all. Actually, was it 2004? Was it even earlier? I feel like, I don't know. It seems so long ago to me now, but I've been here a while, so. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I didn't really know much about him. I don't think the dance world knew too much about him either. And then soon after he made Carnival of the Animals here, he was making ballets everywhere else and became director of the Bolshoi, which is not a small deal. And then uh, now he's resident choreographer at ABT. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, we're like, wow, really lucky to have... I think it was the first commission... Um, he ever received in the United States actually was Carnival of the Animals. So we were really uh, fortunate and Helgi was um, great to, to pick him out and hire him before everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> and now that was a very different ballet from this one. Uh, again, uh, 
just as background about Shostakovich trilogy, it's three ballets that stand alone, but all together create this whole. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and about the ballet that you're in, Symphony Number no. Nine? Sure. You might notice there's music going on behind the stage too. So there, there's a rehearsal happening of the third ballet that you'll see tonight um, called Piano Concerto. But the first one is Symphony Number no. Nine, and the second one is called Chamber Symphony. Um, so I'm in the first one. Um, I, I think it's really a unique uh, project to embark on to make three ballets that fit together but can also stand alone. Uh, it's great for, like, in a practical sense, too, because you can kind of, you can do just one of them if you want, or you can do the whole evening if you want to present the whole evening, and it, it gives the audience something a little more fulfilling, an arc throughout the whole show. And I, I just really love it. I think it's something very different. Um, each ballet, you, you can see the his style and how it how he uses it differently, but it still fits together in a nice way. Um, should I talk about Symphony Number no. Nine? I guess. Okay, so Symphony Number no. Nine is is the first one. Uh, um, there's a main couple who is supposed to represent Shostakovich and his wife, and then there's another couple, which is my role. Um, you'll see Gennady Nedvigin do it this afternoon. Um, we kind of embody the. Um, military, the um, spirit of Russia in the Stalin era, the pro-Russian sentiment, the very machismo and bravura, and gathering the troops. And we're very, it, it's almost ironic because he said we, we have a sinister side to us too. Like we're, we're all flashy and smiley and yes, everything is great. But underneath that, there's this undertone of I don't know what, how to say it, but he, this is how he described it. He said that we are attending like all these, uh, like a mafia party almost at night and KGB parties and everything's great and flashy and wonderful. And then during the day we're signing execution orders. So <laughs> that's a little bit heavy, but um, he kind of wanted that ironic juxtaposition between we're smiling and then we're fierce and ferocious the next minute. So it's not all great and happy and everything's amazing the way that it may look on the face of it. So underneath there's this sinisterness, which is really cool to dance and try to embody that. I mean, it's, I've never really had to dance something so kind of nuanced in, in that character way before in an abstract ballet. So <laughs> it's an abstract ballet, but it's got this like meaning too. Yeah, talk about a little, that a little bit, because I think he said um, there is no story, but there is meaning. And, Definitely. And I'm curious, too, you know, how much of that, of that subtext do people, you know, really should they understand before going into it? Um, and, and how specific, too, I mean, you know, how much was he asking you to just draw on your imaginations, or how much was it really, historically, this is the context here? That no, he didn't really give you too much to work with. Just kind of a couple phrases, like what I just told you. Um, we're not portraying any particular person or uh, no historical event here. Um, but if you read about, about it a little bit more, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give it away too much. Some people like to go into to a ballet and not know anything about it, and some people like to read about it before, so I don't want to ruin anybody's time here. But uh, <laughs> Shostakovich uh, apparently wrote this symphony at a time um, when they commissioned it from, the, the state commissioned it from Shostakovich to be a triumphant symphony in celebrating the end of World War II, and he made it almost like an ironic 
kind of mocking symphony. And, and it's his own way as a composer, as an artist, to kind of challenge the state and challenge the authority, which is really kind of amazing, the power of art, the power of music and dance, and how, how can we use that <laughs> to communicate ideas. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of subtext in, in all three of these pieces. Um, and I remember Ratmansky is often described by the critics as a witty choreographer. And it sounds like Dmitry Shostakovich is a witty composer. And it certainly sounds like wit could get you in trouble with the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could. <laughs> yeah. So this piece was um, co-commissioned between San Francisco Ballet and American Ballet Theater. Uh, it was um, created on American Ballet Theater and then taught to our company. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the process um, of Nancy Rafa coming and setting it and how she and Alexei and our own ballet masters worked together to prepare the piece? Well, Nancy was pretty much the, the guru of, of Shostakovich for, uh, I don't know how long she was here, maybe three weeks, and she set three ballets in that short period of time, and she knew them all like really well and off the top of her head, especially Symphony Number no. 9. She just knew every single part, every core member's part, where you went, what count it was, and who you went around and when you went here. Because these ballets are complicated, and I think it looks great because there's so much traffic going on. These ballets are great for the core as well. I think there's a lot of amazing dancing happening in the core. Um, and it's not easy to set that type of work because it's just so much. There's so many people in the room. Um, but Nancy was amazing, and we, we keep talking about it. We're like, oh, man, that Nancy, how does she do it? So um, it was a great experience. Um, nothing really, like, she didn't really stumble up, and we, we were, it was very clear from the beginning. She had a lot of images for us. And um, actually, I'm dancing, uh, I danced it with Simone Mesmer, who is from ABT, and she actually premiered the role, so she knew a lot about the role, too, and the choreography and the steps, so she helped, helped out as well. You were lucky in that sense, too. I was lucky. I had a, yeah, a partner a who knew expert. exactly what she was doing. She could pull me around in the rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just joining us, our guest today is soloist James Safranco, and we're talking about Shostakovich trilogy. Um, now, you mentioned the core, and I uh, thought that they were very interesting. They're sort of like this other character in the piece, but the nature of the, the character seems to change sometimes. It, I thought sometimes they seemed sympathetic to the principals, whoever's dancing. Sometimes they seemed antagonistic. Sometimes they seemed like the oppressed, sometimes the oppressors. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Was, yeah. Did I catch that? Or <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I think the, the core is definitely a character, especially in Symphony Number no. 9, the first ballet. Um, they are the, the people. They're that are, you can see them, they form into like these strict, almost military-esque lines many times, and they're kind of being formed into these positions, and then there's a big climax where everybody seems to have joined and unified. And I think the main characters portray a closer-in view of maybe some people that don't, like maybe they're unsure about this unifying. They're questioning, they're looking around a lot, and then, but when you look at the big picture, everyone's gathering together and there's no questions asked. So, I don't know, it's like the zoomed out view and then the zoomed in view, and you can take from it what you will. That's interesting. In the, in the third ballet in the program, there are these two principal women in these, you know, very striking red leotards, and yet they have their moments, they seem so brilliant and bold, and then there are moments of fear and, um, that's, again, the part of that undercurrent that just... 
Yeah, these ballets, like on, on the surface, they're very like energetic and powerful and great to watch and spectacular dancing and everyone, everyone looks so great. But you can kind of like take a step in and you notice that there's something flowing underneath, an undercurrent of, I don't know, somber, almost sadness at times, almost, I don't know if you could say anger, but just defiance a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the, the technique uh, that you have to employ in this ballet. Because um, Nancy is quoted as saying to a dancer, Whenever, wherever you can use your classical technique, use it. Mm -hmm. But what does that mean to you as a dancer? <laughs> that means point your feet and turn out and hit good, <laughs> hit good positions. Um, not only that, but part of it means that, yes. <laughs> um, Alexei is a very classical choreographer, um, as opposed to uh, maybe, like, like I said, Paul Taylor. He, he's much more grounded and not interested in the ballet positions of nice high passe for pirouettes or, you know, clean fifth positions, double tour land fifth. Like, Alexei loves all that stuff and wants you to use all that. I mean, we've trained for years and years and years to perfect all this stuff, um, and we should put it to use, and, and I love the challenge of that, it's, it's very hard. It's very technically demanding. And I love that Alexei can make a dance that, is, that utilizes all that work, but also has something more to it to say also. So you feel like you're really putting all that work and all those years of technique to, uh, to good use <laughs> to make something even bigger than the technique is. So, you know, we talked about kind of the arc of the ballet, but I'm curious for you, um, being in one of the ballets, and then when you saw the other two, did that inform your understanding of the ballet that you're in or somehow change um, what you thought of it? Um, yeah, I'd say a little bit. The Chamber Symphony, the second one, which we haven't really touched on, um, is more about the story of Shostakovich's life and his three loves. There's three women in his life, and it's, it's very moving, and it, one of his wives passes away. So I don't know if they're all wives, actually. They're just women in his life. But one of them passes away, so it's a very sad and, and somber ballet and just very touching and moving. Um, and then the third ballet, Piano Concerto, you said, is just kind of more fierce. And I, so it made me want to do Symphony Number no. 9, the first one, even almost bigger my role as the commander, as the military general, or something like that. Somebody like rallying the troops. I wanted to, because there's nobody else like that in the whole evening, so I wanted to really make a, a statement, <laughs> make it bigger. And do you recognize from ballet to ballet kind of a repeated motif or a movement that might, you might see again that our audience could look for while they're watching? Hmm. Let's see, a repeated motif. Well, just lots of uh, amazing footwork. I feel like Ratmansky just really uses the rhythms in the piece well, and, and every bum bum has a and forth, and forth. He uses like even almost, almost the rhythms you don't hear at first in the music, the under the under rhythms. Um, I'd say that's just his style, but that's that's a theme you could look for, and maybe ties in with that undercurrent of um, sinister, <laughs> also. <laughs> So what, what special challenges uh, did this ballet present for you, if any? Uh, the speed. <laughs> I'd say that was the, the main challenge. Um, and then, of course, we're, we're with a, an accompanist in the studio. And so the accompanist is uh, playing it at one speed, the very first rehearsal. And 
she got better at it the longer we rehearsed it. So it got faster and faster and faster. <laughs> and I mean, we were getting hopefully better at it too, so it was getting faster and faster and faster. So um, there was one point when we came to the, finally to the orchestra rehearsal and, the, and Martin was conducting and um, I was like, wow, that was, it's just like, I don't even know if it's possible anymore. <laughs> you know, We've gotten so fast by that point. Um, but I think it works for the piece too. It puts it on an edge. It's, it's not comfortable. It's, you're never kind of like sauntering over to your spot. You're like, go, go, go. It, it's, there's never a moment of relaxation. So that is the biggest challenge, to keep your energy up because he wants it really high energy and he wants it um, sharp and quick. So that, that is the biggest challenge for sure. <laughs> Again, we're talking to soloist James Safranco. So what's coming up for you later in this season? Let's see, we're nearing the, the end, but um, there's a ballet by Liam Scarlett that's coming up in the next program. He's a young choreographer from England, and his ballet is uh, titled Hummingbird, which we just found out, the title. You know, it's always called New Scarlet or New Posakov until the title, and there's a big moment when the title comes out. Oh, okay. Or, hmm, <laughs> you know, you don't know <laughs> what they're thinking sometimes. Um, but that's, uh, it's just the process you go through. And with a premiere, you know, there's always these unknowns. What's the lighting gonna be? What's the costume gonna be? How's it gonna sound in the orchestra? Um, and that, that's what makes a premiere really exciting, too. Um, it's not something that's been done before. You feel like you're really presenting something brand, brand new to the audience. And uh, Liam has been really great to work with. He's coming on Tuesday, and um, we have to put it together again because we rehearsed it back in, I don't know if it was August. That's one of the challenges of the programs that we do here at San Francisco Ballet. We rehearse everything in the spring, or, I mean the summer, fall. Um, then we forget it for a while. <laughs> and we do Nutcracker and we open the season and then we have to bring stuff back and remember it. Um, so we've been doing that already the past two weeks, trying to put it back in our bodies. And Liam comes to, uh, Tuesday, so... Um, we have some work to do. <laughs> Hopefully he'll be uh, pleased and not like, you forgot everything that we did back in the fall. <laughs> uh, and in this current rotation of programs, you've been appearing um, in The Rite of Spring right. as one of the elders, and you have another role in that ballet as well. Uh, yeah, not a dancing Behind role the scenes, is what you mean, right. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I was uh, asked by Yuri last year to um, assist him in ballet mastering for Rite of Spring for the creation, along with Anita Picciotti, our, our ballet mistress here, who does Yuri's work all the time. So uh, that's been a really interesting and uh, wonderful experience and eye-opening to be on the, uh, the other side of the studio, on the front of the studio, looking back at the dancers and um, trying to just piece together what Yuri's saying and relay it or translate it to, to the group. Um, I think it was useful to have more than one ballet master on this because there were so many people on stage. It's a big core ballet. Um, and just the, the amount of information that's supposed to get out there. This music is really hard. So Yuri and I worked together on the music when we were on tour in London. We went in the studio. He choreographed some stuff on me so that he could have it ready to go into the studio when we were... Um, with the big group and he's, you know, it's a little intimidating when as a choreographer, you go in a room, there's a big group of dancers there looking at you like, tell me what to do, what do I do? And you can get a little bit like this. And so if you have something prepared sometimes, it, <laughs> it helps. So how did you balance, um, you know, 
working as a ballet master on the ballet, as well as learning and performing the role that you had. Yeah, it was hard. When we got to the stage, I had to relinquish my ballet master role a little bit, just because I, <laughs> well, if you've seen it, which hopefully you have, Rite of Spring, I'm in a costume shared with another person. <laughs> so um, it was a little difficult to be where I wanted to be all the time, which maybe working with some of the core when I had a break because I was attached at the hip, literally, <laughs> literally. to um, someone else. So um, in the studio, I, I did a lot more. And, and then on stage, I did what I could um, to help out as, as much as I could. And then um, there's a second cast. There's one more show on Tuesday of Rite of Spring. And there's a second cast of elders. Luke Willis and Max Cawthorn are uh, going into that role. So I've helped out a lot with them, trying to teach them the role. Um, it's very difficult to teach, actually, because you just you're twisted in the dress, you twist to the left, you twist to the right, you're turning around, and but I I think it was useful that I was able to pull from actual my physical body memory to know what I did here and how to translate that to somebody else, because when you just watch it, it's really hard to know, and when you dance it, you know it, you know it that much better. <laughs> And you've recently celebrated a milestone of sorts. Your son just turned one. Yes, he did. <laughs> so with, with all of this other work that you're doing with the company, you had this other new responsibility. How has that been, <laughs> <laughs> juggling that? And uh, it is a juggling act. Yeah, my wife is a dancer, too, for Ballet San Jose. So um, some weekends when we're both performing, it's a busy time. Um, we have a nanny uh, that we share with another family at the ballet here. Um, but yeah, some nights, you know, or days, you just, you're here all day, you don't see him until the next morning, he goes to bed and you're not home. So it's a little sad. Um, but when you wake up, you just really make the best of the times that you do have with him. And you, usually, it used to be the last 13 years of my life here at San Francisco Ballet, I'd have a late night show, it ends at 10, 30, 11. I could sleep in till 9, 9.30. <laughs> he doesn't care, he wakes up at 6.30. Every and day. And he's very happy to see you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm happy to see him, too. But it's just, yes. you know, it's just a different life now. Yeah. And you've done uh, some other projects. Uh, you and uh, Garen Scribner, former soloist with the company, uh, produced two um, fundraisers, uh, Get In Front uh, performances for the California Pre uh, Cancer Prevention Institute of That's California, correct. if I have right. it right. Uh, so how did you get into that? And are you going to do more? Um, yeah, well, the, the, the Get In Front performance happened twice. Uh, so last year, it was in November at Yerba Buena, and we had a great show. We raised a lot of money for the Cancer Prevention Institute of California, CPIC. Um, we, Garen and I, met Sally Glazer, who's the CEO, through the ballet. She's a ballet fan, and we decided to um, do what we could. And we know a lot of people in the dance world here, in the dance community of San Francisco. It's, it's a small world in any like, kind of niche industry. Um, so we know pretty much everybody and we called up everyone we knew and everyone came together and put on a great show and it was a, a wonderful time and yeah I really enjoy doing things like that I, I like um, being on the, the producing side of things too um, ballet mastering has you know taught me a little bit more about being on the what it takes to put something on the stage artistically and this has also taught me what it takes to put something on the stage uh, practically <laughs> you you know you have everything to do from the theater to the crew to the rentals of the piano and the music and pulling everyone together. I mean, it is, it is a lot of work. And uh, props to the staff here at San Francisco Ballet for making it work every, every day we have a show here. It's, it's amazing. Um, but it's something that's taught me a lot, and it's taught me that 
uh, I, I'd like to continue do, doing things like that, and I think it's really important um, that we have art in our community, that we have dance in our community. Um, we can use this art and this dance for good causes, for get in front, um, and, but also just uh, to teach me how I can use my skills and talents in other ways. I can't dance forever. Nobody can, which is the sad news facing every dancer, which is a hard, it's a hard career because you really, it, it does end too early. You want it to keep going, um, especially if you've had some sort of success, you've, you've had fun, you, you know you're not too injured, knock on wood. It, you're reaching like a, a level of maturity and bam, then you're done. So it's, it's unfortunate in a way, but that it also, it's also what makes dance so kind of just fleeting and special when you do have it, when you are watching somebody at their prime, know that it won't last forever. So you're, you're lucky to be there at that moment. You're lucky to be here today watching these dancers dance. <laughs> well, we have a few minutes for some questions for our guest, soloist Jim Safranco. Uh, I will repeat the question in the microphone so everyone can hear. So I ask that you help me out by keeping them short. Do we have any questions for Jim? The question is, is producing more interesting to you than being a choreographer? No, not necessarily. I, I, I did a lot of choreography at school at Juilliard, and um, I've done a couple things here and there just for gigs in the summer or what have you. Um, I, I think they're both, they both really go hand in hand, and I haven't leaned towards one or the other necessarily. I mean, I'm still a dancer here now, so it's like I'm trying to just see what kind of comes my way too, and, and I don't want to say no to any sort of opportunity. So I, I love producing art, and I feel like if I wasn't ever in the studio again, I would really miss it. So when I think about that, I think that yes, I would really, you know, I don't ever want to give that up. I don't ever want to give up the artistic side because it, it is just so fulfilling and it's, um, it's necessary. But on the other hand, so is you know, the production side of things too. So I, I think it's just, it's all around a balance. It's good to know how to do <laughs> everything, I guess. You can do, not that one person can do it all. You always have to have a team, but to have the knowledge about what it takes is, is good. <laughs> How did the male dancers develop the strength to do all those lifts? And she said to lift them so effortlessly, <laughs> um, which is so nice of you to say because that is a compliment to both the, the man and the woman. Um, well, we, we take partnering class from a young age too, uh, to start learning the skills and technique because there is a skill to it and you have to be taught it. It's, it's not easy, um, although we try to make it look easy. And I, I hopefully we succeed, as you point out, that it looks effortless. Um, it, it's a communion between the woman lifting and jumping, lifting herself, I mean, like in her body, and the man holding her in the right spot where it doesn't hurt her, but it's also the perfect balance of momentum and weight and just leverage. Um, it, it just takes practice, really. And you do have to, you know, do some weight training if you are not, you know, a, a man that has like, natural bulky 
arms <laughs> or back or, you know, like our backs do kind of like take a, take a toll from lifting a lot. There's a lot of back injuries, also jumping, but um, everything takes a toll. But yeah, you have to maintain your body well. You have to, if you need to do strength training, you do strength training. We have a wellness center at the ballet building with um, weights and bikes and Pilates machines. Um, so every, every body is different. Every dancer is different. So fortunately for me, I haven't had to do much of like extra beyond just what I do in rehearsals, what, uh, what's asked of me in choreography. And, uh, but I mean, when I was young in school, I had to do a lot of push-ups. that's for sure. So <laughs> nothing beats a push-up. Well, I regret that we don't have any more time for more oh, questions for Jim, um, but thank you for being our guest today, soloist James DeFranco. Thank you.